0: This is the podcast of the California Institute of Integral Studies, where we bring you conversations and lectures from our public program series, featuring world-renowned scholars, leaders, authors, artists, and thinkers. In this episode, poet Tyler Knott Gregson is joined in conversation by CIIS's Director of the Center for Writing and Scholarship, Bryn Saito, to discuss poetry and the creative process. This talk was recorded on March 29, 2017 in front of a live audience in San Francisco. To make sure you never miss an episode of the CIIS Public Programs podcast, find us and subscribe on iTunes or visit our website at ciis.edu podcast.
1: The church <laughs>
2: <laughs> hi welcome it's great to see you all here tonight um, uh, we're sort of gonna just wing it I we're think totally we yeah it. we're just gonna talk and see what happens and talk poetry and death and God and goddesses and love and Instagram and
1: <laughs> Twitter and <laughs> it's kind of... <laughs> I like how quickly we went from God and goddesses to Instagram. It, yes,
2: yes. <laughs> <It's like laughs> There's something there, there. There is something there. Right. It's, it's and there uh, maybe we'll get Tyler to read a poem or two as well. We'll see. Two. Oh, we one. One, yeah. maybe. So the first question I thought I'd uh, open with is just... So, you know, this has been quite... I'm assuming quite a journey for you, you know, just these books and the 300,000 followers and um, all of the just amazing, beautiful, wild response, right? Of all of this and everything you're putting out into the world. Um, What has surprised you most about this whole project of being a poet and a public poet in the ways that you are?
1: I think honestly, everything that you just said, you know, I live in Montana and it's quiet and it's cold and I live on a mountain in Montana, so it's colder and quieter. Mm-hmm. And so I think I've never written to have anything read, which is why I told you earlier, I hate reading the things mm-hmm. that I've I've written. And so I don't think I ever expected anyone anywhere to see the things that I say. Mm-hmm. And it, it really, I mean- <laughs> Surprise, I, yes. Yeah, and I mean, I think when I started I've started blogging forever ago, like when it started, which makes me old. Um, And nobody really paid much attention. And it was just for my family as a way for them to keep up with me. And so to go from that to being in a giant church in San Francisco is very strange Mm -hmm. because nothing has changed on my end, which makes it even more kind of surreal is because nothing has changed on my end. And so... I'm doing the same thing that I've been doing for since I was 12. It's just now there's eyes and ears and faces and churches, and it's in a church, which is still so strange to me. <laughs> it's usually like weddings and, and funerals that bring me to a church, and hopefully this is more the former than the latter, but, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. Maybe. Maybe, maybe.
2: We'll yeah. see how it goes. We'll see how it goes, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it is kind of interesting. We're in a church. I mean, um, as I was saying to you earlier, I feel like so much of your poetry is—it's—it's it's very is spiritual in a way too. And I, I, think of Rumi and I think of Hafiz and these poets who were—you're <laughs> shaking your head—who right? um, were writing to the beloved, you know. But um, but the beloved was also the world, yeah. you know, the earth. And um, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that, like how you how you think about spirituality sure. and poetry together. And.
1: I think you kind of nailed it. I think for me, there's never been a distinction. I think that there's a reason why I chose love as to the thing that my haiku would be about for all those years. And it's, I think it's, you know, a lot of people are like, well, it's easy and it's cheesy and it's, you know, people will care and they'll whatever. But I think it's the hardest thing to write about because there's so many avenues that you can go down once you start doing that. And I was telling you earlier, we took a Lyft ride yesterday, we stopped using Uber, so we were in a Lyft (laughs) car, and um, oddly, it was an English major that was driving us, and he asked why we were in town, and we started talking about poetry, and it was like a 30-minute drive, and we were talking about, uh, about that, and how the longer you think about love, the harder it gets to find new ways of speaking of it, and I think, for me, that's why I chose it, and it's because that, I, I feel like that's the way I see it. And that's the way I see this lap through life is that there's no difference between a beloved and the beloved everything. Mm. And so my spirituality has always been rooted in that. I was I was raised Presbyterian and it never ever felt right to me. I always felt like I was being forced to be there, which I was, you know, it was my parents wanted me to do it. and and it wasn't until I found Buddhism at 12 that everything it was like someone just like lifted a curtain, and they said, "The way that you feel is normal, and it's, it's okay to be that way, and it's okay to fall in love with the ants on the ground, or you know, the deer that eat out of your backyard, or a person. It's okay to feel as passionately for all of those things. You don't have to like compartmentalize and say. Well, you can only feel that depth for this or that. And I think that's where everything comes from for me is that idea that if you really do love, then there isn't any category for it. And I think that's how it's always been for me. And which I get very distracted because of that. Because every ant and butterfly and bird you just
0: <laughs>
1: takes a long time to go anywhere. But yeah. So I think those things have always been very married together in that there hasn't ever been a difference between the way I see things. It's all under that sphere, I guess.
2: Mm. That's beautiful. There's <laughs> a sort, yeah, like the kind of um, intimacy. For sure. Like, that's not just maybe uh, limited to the self and other, or the dyad, or it's, it's yeah. a sort of intimacy with the world. Oh.
1: There is, yeah. And it's, I don't know, I'm I'm strange in a lot of strange ways. And that's one of them. And I don't know if anybody follows me, there's just like weird things happen. Like I fed a muskrat the other day in Montana. And that's very strange. Like that doesn't, that's not supposed to happen. But I think that if you give out a lot of love, this is just going to go really quickly off the rails. I can, (laughs) I can tell already,
2: like, I'm just going to
1: warn you, this is going (laughs) to, who knows where this is going to go. But um, I think if you give that out, it's really amazing to see the way that the universe changes and it does like it's a tangible real change that when when you open yourself up for feeling that way about everything it comes back and it really does and like I totally sound like Tony Robbins or something right now but it really <laughs> does come back and it's I can't imagine living any other way than that you know especially because I've felt it I feel what it feels like when it comes back and when it's returned in Anything, I I don't know.
2: Mm. Do you feel like the the act of writing a poem a day? You know, like we were speaking about this the the commitment and the diligence to you know a thousand plus poems every single day. You haven't missed a day for many for years. Years, You know, that's incredible to me. Like, how has that transformed you know your consciousness almost, or like you're saying the sort of give and take with the world? Has it? You know how has it?
1: I think for sure. I don't think there's any way to do any journey, whether it's written or real. I think anytime you take anything on like that, it inherently changes you. And I think, I don't know, I almost think I, I see the world differently because of it. Because if you, I don't know, it goes back to that opening yourself up. If you are open to that, you're always inspired, you know, and that answers the question that I was telling you that I get at every book signing is, how do you stay inspired or how do you overcome writer's block? And I don't think it's about writing at all. I think it's about kind of making a fundamental change in how you let yourself wander through the world. And if you let yourself, I don't know, be open to the miracles of it all, and we're in a church that works, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: (laughs) but if you do that, And I don't mean miracles even in a spiritual sense. I just think the fact that all of us are here spinning around and floating together is pretty remarkable. And little things get ignored so often, you know? And if you appreciate those things and take the time to, writing a poem a day is easy because there's so many words that come from that. For me, it's words, but I mean, it might be photographs or paintings or whatever. But... It's just, if you're open for it, that act is good. And I think that's how it's changed me is it's just like, instead of having a door with a, a screen door on it or a window with a screen on it, it just took all of that. And it just like knocked the whole wall down. And so you kind of get it from all sides at all times. And so I think that's the biggest change is just how much more I see.
2: Hmm. How much more I see, that's great. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it strikes me as a very like, potentially radical act, too, right? In this um, contemporary moment to just slow down and pay attention. You know, Jane Hirschfeld talks about that as a Zen Buddhist poet like yourself, like a Buddhist poet. And um, there's something almost politically, like just like a radical in, in, about that yeah. to just do that. And, and um, I wonder, yeah, how you think about doing that art of paying attention at a moment when our senses are also very overwhelmed by just the state of things in the world, you know, and how you think about all those, all of that.
1: I think that's what we need more than ever now is not, we don't, we definitely don't need any more of me, (laughs) But, (laughs) but like we just need more open eyes and we need more awareness and appreciation and attention because Like you just said, we're up against it more now than ever. And if we don't, I don't know, if we don't practice art now, we're in a lot of trouble. And I think it's interesting being here too. Um, You know, this was the source of counterculture for a very long time and still is. And I think now it's been beautiful to see that counterculture a huge resurgence and I think it's because it's necessary now and we need people with loud voices and we need people with all all types of art whether it's controversial or if it's optimistic or if it's horribly pessimistic we need to hear all sides of this story or else (laughs) who knows where we're going to end up Mm -hmm. and that's terrifying to me so
2: there's so much at stake and um the internet, right, as the great connector and great manifester of all these energies, um, and Instagram as this platform, we're also in this sort of very unique, amazing moment where the sort of um, success and, and impact is possible through Definitely. through the application, through an app, you know. And, yeah. um, how, is, how has that been for you, or sort of how do you, um, yeah, how do you kind of, deal with that is like I was saying earlier you know I have I have 300 followers you know on my Instagram <laughs> and Tyler has through like 300,000 so so I can't so it's I wonder as a poet as um you know poet, poetry being such a private act and then something like Twitter Instagram or Facebook being very public platforms sure. how do you navigate some of that energy?
1: Honestly I think by just being one way all the time um I was never blessed with the ability to be different people at different times, which I wish I was sometimes because it's really hard. You end up talking about muskrats in front of a crowd of people, you know? But I think that's the way. That's the only way I know. It's to be the same person always. And so for me, I've never felt. I've never felt it, like the only time I ever feel that there is an Instagram presence is when I'm able to do stuff like this. Um, other than that, it's just, like I said, it's me doing the same things that I've always done and then kind of being confused why people are commenting or and being like, oh yeah, that's a thing, people know that now, you know? But it, there's no difference for me and so I've never felt like there's anything to navigate. It's like, I don't know, It's it, it's just all people I haven't met yet and things I haven't done yet and, like, people I haven't become friends with yet and just waiting to be, so. yeah, there's not really any navigation necessary. It's just I hope I don't embarrass myself.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, yeah. Really. Yeah.
2: Um, can you talk a little bit about your process, you know, like, in um, how you write, why you write, what?
1: <laughs> that just makes me giggle because I was like, I hope no one asks me about my process uh-huh. because it's <laughs> the most, it's just ridiculous. Uh-huh. There there really isn't one. I mean, I don't know. I'm a creature of routine a lot. And so, like, I get up and I eat the same cereal every morning. And, you know, it's true. Like, I eat peanut butter puffins. but
2: That was my next question. Yeah. So, yeah. But only
1: because I was told those have less sugar than the cereal I was eating. And so, <laughs> I worked really hard to change that. But, my, I mean, as far as the actual writing process goes, it's usually... I don't know, there's that old quote, like, there's nothing to writing, just sit down at the typewriter and bleed. That's what it feels like for me, except for, instead of bleed, it's like, explode. Because it comes out all at once, in a frenzy, and then I feel better. And so, the only process I really have is just, my, I feel like my brain gets built up with noise, and when I write, it gets quiet. And then it gets built up with noise and then I write and it gets quiet and that's it. And it's, I wish so much that I had something really cool to say about, you know, well, I meditate for 20 minutes and then I burn a candle and you know, I hold a dove, but it's, not, it's not that. Like it's I eat just my
2: cereal. And I yeah, hold a eat dove. It one handed, I, yeah,
1: but it's eat not it that. It's just, I feel like it's going off the rails. I told you, um, no, it's more just like lines build up. And I don't know if it's the same. You're a poet as well. So I don't know if it's the same for you, but one line is always the genesis of every poem for me. And I, is, do you, is that the way you work too? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like my brain becomes overloaded with just these lines. And I have to get them out of me. And it's weird because I'll wake up in the middle of the night sometimes and I won't know it. And then I'll wake up in the morning and there'll be, like a note to myself on my phone that has lines in it. And I don't I don't understand that, and I don't know where that comes from, but then it becomes like that process of trying to figure out what in the hell you were talking about. But that's the closest thing I, I have to a process, is just I let those lines build up, and then when I feel like I can't carry them anymore, I let them out. And then again, that this process begins again where I forget that people read them and people you know, are there on the receiving end. And that's a very strange circle to go through every time. But I always forget, and then I always remember. Mm -hmm. So one day I will get it all together and figure out that this is a thing. Mm -hmm. But until then... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if that answered your question well. or I don't if remember just what like my a...
2: question was, so that's okay. Yeah, <laughs> um, but it reminds me of a quote. You know, Muriel Rukeyser, the poet, says poetry is the transfer of human energy or consciousness, and um, and the way you talk about sort of build up, you know, and, and release, and letting and letting energy sort of flow through mm-hmm. that. I resonate with that. You know,
1: absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's what it feels like. It almost feels like my my consciousness weighs less when I'm done. Like, it, it I, there is a liberation that comes, and it's, I don't know, I've always heard of art and catharsis being kind of married together, and it wasn't until I, like, really started letting it go and just letting myself do it that I there's so much truth to that. Like, there's so much truth to just giving yourself the freedom to let it all pour out. And I think, again, we're in a, a place in the world where if, more people allowed themselves that freedom. We, I don't. We might be in a different spot.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And there's agree. still time, right? There's still time yeah. to get there.
2: But yeah, poetry is a freedom project. Yeah, it is, I love yeah. that. Mm-hmm. I'm curious um, about revising and whatnot. You know, with the typewriter format and the Instagram format, how do you think about? Do you go back to your poems after you write I them? Don't. Do you tweak? Do you revise? do You edit? Yeah.
1: No. Okay. Um, yeah. I don't even edit them. That's why I initially chose the typewriter because doing it the old fashioned way, you mentioned the, the need to slow down and that's what that was for me because I was afraid that if all of that was in my mind and I just was able to 120 words a minute say it, it would be too much and then I, I wouldn't feel that release because it would, just, it would steal from it. And so when I found that typewriter I instantly realized that this is the way that you can do it and have it be it's, its most honest because I can't edit on a typewriter. And once the poem's done, it becomes a diary entry almost. Like I can read poems in this book, which I don't like to do, but I mean, if I see them, I can remember exactly where I was in that, in that spot in my life and what it meant. And it is, it's a journal entry for me. And if I were to edit that, I think it would steal, I don't know, it would would rob the emotion of that thing that I wrote for myself, because today me is in a different place than yesterday me, and so if I add today's me's thought into yesterday's me's pouring out, (laughs) this is horribly meandering, it steals that, and it stops being honest for me, even though it's all coming from the same person, but I I don't know. I feel like I'm a million different people from, that's like an Alanis Morissette song. I'm a million different people from, or someone, one day to the next day. (laughs) Who is that? Is it Alanis Morissette? I feel like it is, maybe. Uh, But, yeah, I I change so frequently that I can't can't take away that honesty by replacing it with new honesty because I don't know then what I will know later. Oh, my God. (laughs) <laughs> that
2: sounded awesome. It's just really yeah.
1: it's a really horrible thing to hear yourself on a microphone when it's like internal and then you say it out loud and you're like good luck folks, <laughs> you know? <laughs> that's what it feels like. It's like people have bad dreams about that, but it's just everyday.
2: Yeah, it's just it's happening right now. Yeah, you're we're living just doing the dream it in a church. Yeah, we're. Just, yeah. Um, but that's interesting to me. I mean, uh, to think about honesty and and just the um Like, almost like each of your poems is a document of a moment, like an emotional, psycho-spiritual, physical moment in your life, you know? And so why would you go back to revise that? Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's like, it's interesting because I'm a photographer, and I don't, it's hard for me to distinguish between the two art forms in a weird way because my poetry feels like a photograph of how I was feeling when I wrote it. And I, I think my photographs feel like the poetry of what I was seeing when I took it. And I think I've always used each other to finish each other in ways that I can't do with just one. I can't say everything I wanna say with just a photograph and I can't say everything I wanna say sometimes with just a poem. So I've always needed the two because poetry to me always did feel like a written photograph that makes sense
2: beautiful yeah it's a beautiful conception um it makes me think a little bit about your book you know and the form of it and um I wondered what was that like for you just to start to put together this the latest collection which is image and text and very hybrid in a way I mean it strikes me that you're working in multiple yeah multiple disciplines and you're sort of a hybrid sort of artist and it's very um but so how, what was that like to kind of go from the Written to the written to the book with the images and,
1: and... It was easier actually because, well, this book I was excited because they gave me so much more freedom on choosing what was put into it. Um, with the first one, it was just such a shot in the dark that I think, I mean, they were predicting like 400 or 500 copies being sold on the first one and they were like hoping that it did that. And so it was such a risk that they chose so many that they th- had a higher likelihood of selling. And so this one, they kind of stepped back and they let me pick. And so it was really fun to get that freedom because the way that the typewriter, the way I have to display them, it makes it inherently visual. And so it actually made it a lot easier to put the book together because they look like images as well. And so it was easier to do that the, rather than having you know 200 pages of just black text on white page. And so it actually, it was a lot more fun for me to, to choose ones that visually said, I don't know what they visually represented to me, if that makes any sense. So it it was fun, it was like it was a, a lot more fun on this one to put it together because I had that freedom of the way they looked and the way they felt and all of that. But it, it, it also makes it challenging because there's so many more to pick from visually. You know, rather than just using length as a qualifier, you're having to use all of it. It's, it's a lot tougher.
2: Mm-hmm. What about the haiku, you know? I think um, you did a whole collection of haiku and a daily haiku. And um, yeah, that, I mean, that, that form is, is so, it's so formal in a way. Like it's, it it's very compact and and there's sort of a, there's a wildness to your free verse and your, your photography practice and the art and then to kind of go to haiku, you know, sort of an interesting shift. Yeah. Why did you choose that as a form and how did you work with that?
1: The haiku just started as a challenge, it was, I grew up, my dad did um, crossword puzzles every morning growing up and so, and I asked him why one day. I was like, why do you spend so much time every morning doing a crossword puzzle? And he said, I think it's great to challenge yourself like right when you get out of bed. Just make your brain work right when you wake up and right when you get out of bed. And so I wanted to do the haiku to do exactly that. I wanted to challenge myself right when I woke up. And when I started, I thought I would do it for a week or a month maybe and a month turned into six and six into a year and I think it's been almost nine almost nine years, I think maybe, that I have been doing that. And it just started as a challenge because I think the hardest thing to do for me in art is to take a complex thing and make it simple. Um, I have friends who are poets and they take very simple things and they make them extraordinarily complex. And I think that's hard too. But for me, as you can tell, meandering is easy for me, but reeling it in and, only, and like limiting myself to three lines, that was the challenge. It was, that was more of a challenge than finding words each morning. It was, can you reduce down something as big as love to three lines in the morning and have it make like does it make you feel better and then have it resonate? And that's always been the challenge is trying to cut it down. It's still hard. Simplicity is so hard; it really is, and brevity is so hard. As I fail miserably at mm-hmm. it tonight.
2: <laughs> um, that's so true, and and yet, it so have, as a poet you must feel this. It's so fun, though, the challenge, it is. right, to work in form. And there's a whole... You surprise yourself, right? When you get, you're given these constraints. Yeah. Like, oh, I have to write a poem only this long or a, a sonnet or a haiku. Yes. And you say things that you never thought you'd say.
1: Yeah, I think it allows for the transformation of all those lines that build up. Because I think sometimes theres it's fun to, to give chaos a little bit of order. And I think if there was a picture of the way that those words look in my brain, it would just look like chaos. And so to be able to rifle through them and pick through them and try to give them some semblance of order, it is really fun. And it's, I don't know, I find the days that I, I, like if we have a trip coming up and I have to write a lot, the days that I know that I need to write more than other days, I love that feeling because it becomes this treasure hunt of, all right, well, that one goes here and that, you know, and it, if, uh, like I said, it feels so much better when you're done. So.
2: hmm That's chaos and order is, I feel like that's the place po- poetry happens. Yeah, yeah. It's like the coming that's together. in thin, thin line. Yeah, yeah, the balance of chaos and order. That's so great. I think one of my students sort of said that as well recently. Um, you mentioned you have poet friends, and um I wondered if you could talk a little bit about just community, you know like do you um do you have uh poet friends who read your work and respond, or a community of writers you're a part of, or if that you know, plays a I'm role. very
1: careful about what I read when it comes to poetry. I don't read any I don't really read new poetry much at all just because. I was, and I, This is why I've never taken a class on creative writing or a class on, on writing poetry because I have this probably very misguided belief that if I read things by other people or any art, if I, if I study the art of other people, it's going to influence my art in a way that takes away from its originality to me, which is probably, as a, a professor of this, you're probably like, <laughs> you are an idiot. <laughs> because it probably limits probably limits like critical growth but for me it would ruin the authenticity of what I do and why I do it and so I'm very careful on who I read and why because I don't ever want something I say to sound like something that someone else said or in you know I take on that flavor um, because that's not what it is for me and I feel bad sometimes because I don't want to get better at poetry. I don't want to get better at writing. I, that's It's not a hobby that I do to perfect. It's not, it's not something I do to sell books. It's not something I do to talk in churches. It's something I do because if I don't, I feel like I'm going to die. And we talked about that earlier. And I literally feel like if I don't... Now I just sound schizophrenic, but if I don't make the voices stop in my brain, I'm gonna go crazy. And so writing is that tool for me. And I'm so afraid that if I learn how to write, I won't ever be able to make those voices be quiet. And then that's—I mean—that's—that's the only thing I'm afraid of in my life is completely losing my mind.
2: (laughs) Join the club, my friend. Join the club.
1: I would—I would rather die than lose lose it you know and so I'm very protective of what I read because I don't want that Mm. I don't I don't want to go crazy yeah you know but I don't want to go crazy right so
2: that's so uh, yeah I mean that's uh, we did talk a little bit about that like questions you know we'll sometimes get it we'll both get in these forums and they'll ask you know why why'd you become a writer or poet and I think our response is the same. It's like, well, sometimes I feel like I can't be in this world. Yeah. And then I write a poem, and I feel like I can live in this For world. For a few minutes, yeah. For a few minutes, yeah. yeah. And that's why, you know, just cause it's like that yes. simple in a way. It yeah. absolutely
1: is. It's, yeah, it, it's that simple. It's if I don't, sometimes it feels like it's too much. It's and then too it, much. Mm-hmm. And then if I do, I, my, my buffer is back. Mm-hmm. And so... I think it's all about that, main, like maintaining your buffer. And writing has always given me it. So, But I do have poet friends. And I don't know. We were just talking earlier about the difference between critically acclaimed poetry and commercially successful. And I would bet that all of their poetry would be received critically better than mine. And I always think that's so fascinating, too. Because I think that there's like a, an inverse algorithm to poetry. And it's like if it sells more, critically it's hated more. And I don't know, maybe everything you write is just total shit, but oh what, can I not say that on the podcast? Yeah, it's
2: too late now. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Good okay, luck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't know. It might be just all horrible, but I always wonder about that too, because their poetry sounds nothing like my poetry. But what's interesting to me is is their poetry doesn't match with their personality at all. And I will say that I think mine does, and so that's always a really, like understanding that difference is always really challenging for me because I know the people and I'm friends with them, and if they send me something, it's so hard because I'm like, what did you, what were you going for here? Like, what did this one mean to you? And I can't ever find them in their words, and I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what that means, but... That, that, that has always been an interesting thing to me, like not the inability to find someone in their art and it, and I don't know, maybe that's the point of art is to hide in it, but for me it has it's been the opposite for my whole life it's been that's where all of me goes, you know, and so there there isn't a difference, like I was saying, there's no difference between that and this right so.
2: Yeah, well, it strikes me that your project, yeah, it is it is different. It's unique in that way, you know. I think I came up with poet people poets in my community who wanted to get published, you know, wanted to get the teaching track poetry job, and wanted to be a poetry professor, and wanted yeah. to be critically, you know, on the panels and blah blah blah, and and um, and that wasn't you, you know, you you wanted you wanted to write every day and share that, and and in that sense, it's a very democratizing, generous sort of project that's not about fetishizing publishing or even all the followers or anything it was just because you didn't even plan
1: no I didn't yeah I still don't understand Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) I didn't know there were poetry panels until you just said it so Uh that shows how far (laughs) removed I was like there's that sounds like a cool thing Um,
2: (laughs) I'll get you on we'll be on one together cool (laughs) yeah I would do it if you
1: you help me but I didn't know that those things existed and I've just there's been such an avoidance of I don't know I've always had Trouble with pretense, and I don't like pretension. And it's maybe my only pet peeve, really. Like it's the one that Sarah's probably laughing. She's probably like, "Yeah," but it's the thing that is—it boils me on the inside—is pretension. And I have so much trouble with someone being one thing and me seeing into them, and and seeing that, and recognizing that heart, and then seeing the other side when they're in public or through their art, maybe. And that disconnect has always been really hard for me. And I've I've just never wanted that. And so it was always just a catharsis thing. All of this stuff is mind-blowing. And it Mm -hmm. doesn't really make sense. Mm
2: -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, we talk a little bit about that at the school I teach at, CIS. Um, It's sort of founded in this bringing your whole self to the classroom, really, right? And bringing your whole self, mind, body, and spirit, to the educational setting. And... and, um, and just being sort of as real as you can in, in those bounds. You yeah. know? So I think those who will, yeah, can hear this podcast later and maybe some of, my, some of the CIS folks who are here, I think that authenticity, right, is, is, um, it, it is a, it's like a practice in a way. It is. For, yeah, which is interesting.
1: Yeah, hear. I always wonder if that comes from the idea of mindfulness in Buddhism. And I always, I wonder if that influenced it in like an inherent way that I didn't plan on um, but I think there's something about mindfulness when it comes to just being aware of of the person that you are and, and, and being unafraid to just be it. Because that does take a degree of mindfulness. Because I think the reason why sometimes people get lost in pretension is they're just not aware of it. And there's no ill intent and there's no evil behind it. It's just a lack of awareness that the heart that's beating in their chest is not being portrayed in the sound of their voice when they speak and I think that that disconnect is dangerous and I think it leads down dangerous roads and so I think maybe my lack of that just comes from a, a strange mindfulness I don't know
2: mm, I love that line the heart the heart beating is not in the voice And
1: I don't like, like when poem. those two things don't match because I feel mm. like people's their heart beats in a, in a real and metaphorical way I think that they speak for who the person is, and when I hear that clearly, and then I hear the words and they don't match, it, it's like deeply unsettling to me. And it, I wonder sometimes if that's why I'm alone a lot and why I don't have tons of close friends is because I have trouble reconciling that disconnect, and I really do, and it doesn't make me not like people <laughs> any way like that, it's just more I don't understand it, and I, i can't make it make sense in my brain Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm. and maybe you shouldn't
1: yeah maybe Maybe that's the secret yeah i don't know
2: that's very interesting yeah reminding me of a question that i totally lost right now so (laughs) let's see um well let's talk about love (laughs) um what, what do you find that you're just really captivated by right now? What do you love? What are your obsessions? What are you writing about um, these days?
1: I think it changes every day. I think there were a lot of, there's a lot of poetry that came out of me during, ever since about January, that were very pointed in, in a way that I didn't see coming. Um, I'm not very political, and I've noticed that I have felt in me a voice get louder and louder and louder since January of things that needed to get out of me that, for the first time, I kind of hoped that people would read Um, because, like I said, we're in a scary time, and so I think the need for—is it raining?
2: Is that wind or, yeah. I don't
1: know, I'm into it though, I love yeah, it. Yeah, it's
2: kind of cool. It's, it's the scary time, it's the. It it's is. The, it's the moment. All the glass
1: windows are going to yeah. implode <laughs> yeah. at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Anyways. But yeah, I think, so that's been a definitely something that I, it's been the voice that it's been noisy for a while, but um, I don't know. I think I've been writing a lot about finding peace with change and like understanding that, Changes in your life can change you in really beautiful ways. I think that's been a theme. Um, kind of like wrestling what it's like to be one thing and then be a be a new thing. Like I was saying earlier, be a new thing the next day and a new thing six months later. And so that's been coming up. Um, death has been in a lot of things that I've been writing about. I've lost some people and some things in my life that have been tough. Um, but I have such a different idea of death that it's more tougher, I think, the ripples that I see on the people I love that were also affected than it is on me. I've always viewed death in such a different, in it's really a different way. I have never seen it as an end. It's more of just a delay between a, a meeting again, and so yeah, I think that. And I think just finding, again, this is where the Haiku Project started, finding the intricacies of intimacy and how many different ways intimacy can be manifested I think mm-hmm. has been really fascinating to me.
2: Mm-hmm. So. I just started reading a little bit about um, eco-poetics, eco-poetry and I thought a little bit about that with your work and just the love of the ant and the tree and the wind and the pines and um, just poetry and ecology sort yeah. of coming together and maybe living where you do. and
1: That's easy for, mm. for where I live. I mean. If you were to walk out my backyard, it's 300 miles, I think, of forest until you hit another town. And so, nature has always been a really big deal to me. And so, it's, it's easy for me to fall into that, for sure. Um, so, when you combine that with the Buddhism, it's like, it's an easy, easy, easy match to make. Mm-hmm. So.
2: And I like what you said about the um, every moment, you're a new self or you're kind of a new person and that... It makes me think of the no-self Buddhism thing yeah. and just getting outside of the ego and the stories we tell about who we are and for to write a poem every day in that fresh perspective thinking I don't know who I am today writing this yeah. poem. That's interesting. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I think everybody creates their own myth. About and themselves. Yeah. They yeah. do. And I think we forget that and we forget that we're the authors of our own story mm-hmm. a lot. And Mine's weird, and I didn't want anyone else writing it. So it was was just easier if I did it. So that's where a lot of it was, was each day I wake up and I feel like a different human being. And so what does this me feel like today? And what is this me in love with today? And what is this me scared of today? And I think it all came from that same place, was that finding who I am each day and letting it come out.
2: Mm -hmm. Hmm.
1: There's a... I might really have mental problems. <laughs> like when I say the things out loud, I'm like, because I studied psychology in school, and right. I was like, that just sounded like I have like multiple personality disorder, or <laughs> well,
2: you're deeply spiritual and Maybe wise. let's call it that. Yeah, <laughs> let's
1: call it. That. Let's just say that. Yeah, just keep telling. You're an that. artist. Yeah, it's just art.
2: Yeah. Come on, guys, it's art. <laughs> It makes me think a little about the you know. There's some energy in your poems, like kind of speaking to this you. And sometimes you is the beloved, and sometimes it feels like you're almost talking to yourself too. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's sort of this like, be brave, you. You know, like be your but go out there and love the world. Absolutely. And I wonder, yeah, who is that? Do you see that self as you or others or? I think a
1: lot of times it's me, Um, Mm -hmm. a lot. And then I think sometimes it's a specific person. And then sometimes it's, especially, like I said, since January, it's everybody. Like, come on, everybody. <laughs> like, Get don't be horrible to people, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, don't that be horrible. That should totally go without saying, but <laughs> don't be racist and mean and mm-hmm. we'll be happy, you know? So I think it changes from a kind of a poem to poem basis, but maybe mostly me. It's, it's me reminding me. It's, I have some tattoos that are in my own handwriting. And it's not because I have pretty handwriting because it's horrible, but it's because that's like me reminding me. You know, It's it's like taking notes on your hand. It's like, this is a reminder that came from you, not somebody else. And so it holds more weight for me. And I, so I think with those poems, it's like that voice in my brain saying, do not forget this bit. And so the poetry gives it a, a place that it can go.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love. Um, sometimes I do this exercise with my students where I have them write letter poems, like epistles. You know, letters, yeah. letters to their maybe their younger self, and then letters to their present self, and letters to their future self. That's amazing. You know, isn't that cool? And I just love that. like what can like, just what you would say to yourself as like a 16-year-old and yeah. writing to that self, writing to that you.
1: And then you wish that you did that when you were 16. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Yeah. That's. I feel like I would, well literally I feel like I would have to write a new one every day and I think that's what I do and I think like you kind of just, you just nailed it because that's what it is for me. It's Every day it's writing another, another letter to who I am and was and will be all every day. And I think that's all it's ever been for me. So again like 300 followers or 300,000, it was never about that, it was about just letting it out and letting go.
2: Mm, that's really beautiful yeah letting go you know I think um, yeah that that's been an interesting process for me I think when I, I I I never feel like a poem is finished and I'll work on it forever and ever and ever and then um and then I only I feel like when I give it up to an audience that's when I do feel like it finally yeah. finishes right so maybe you don't have the, to carry it yeah you don't have to carry it yeah, yeah. and maybe that's kind of what the Instagram piece is a little you you, you kind of let it go then I think that's definitely what it is. Yeah.
1: And I think you can attest to this. Words are heavy and they weigh a lot in your brain. And that's why I write so much is that it weighs so much that if I didn't, I didn't do it, I would be worse off than I am now. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's for sure what it is.
2: And then I think Valerie or somebody says like poems are never done. They're only abandoned. Like you only, you just have to walk away. You do. right? And that's
1: why I don't ever want to edit them is because there's too many others to come that I, I can't, I don't feel any of them have any weight or merit over any other. And so to focus, I think that's why I've never wanted to edit too, is to focus more energy on one over the other. There's no point for that for me. There's no, like one poem does not carry any weight that's why I can never pick a favorite. It's why I don't know. Because they're, they're just all the same to me. Like, It's just all like a cacophony. And, it, I, and it's here, and then it's here, and then it's there. And once it's there, I, I can breathe for a minute. Hmm.
2: So Again, that's sort of that spirit of just equalizing of voices yeah. and the many voices. And again, I feel that that's a very democratic project in a way that you're just you're not privileging any of the voices in you Definitely. or out there or what's you know and I guess for you know those of us in the room maybe who um maybe would like to try our hand at this or you know is yeah. uh, what what advice might you have for poets in the room or folks who are or, or maybe writing prompts or just little things yeah we could try because I feel like there's a like a praxis-oriented, like sure. an everydayness to, to the spirit that you bring to this whole thing that a lot of poets maybe in the academy or in these other spaces don't have. They see it as a very specialized thing, yeah. right? But you don't, you see it I as don't. everyone, we are all poets in a way, I you know? absolutely
1: believe that, yeah. um, which is probably why the critics, you know, the critically the critic versus thing. commercially, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite exercises for people who have never written a poem, <clears throat> in fact, I. I had to do a speech talk thing, it was in my hometown and the way that it was oriented was you sat at a table and then people knew what your table was about and if they wanted to sit at your table then they could donate money and they would all went to a charity and so it was really interesting, it was called Great Conversations or Great Talks or something like that and at my table I think the average age was probably 60 maybe and none of them had ever written a poem in their life. and so. I wanted them all to write a poem and no one wanted to do it. And so the way I made them do it was I brought them old book pages and I made them make a blackout poem because then they didn't have an infinite number of words at their disposal. They only had the ones that were on that page. And in a weird way, that limitation is massively liberating because it's not like this entire human language that you have to choose from. It's 600 or 700 words and every one of them wrote a poem and every one of them was beautiful like absolutely beautiful and it was funny how they all matched how those people were feeling and i because i asked them that i said what does this mean to you and they had a story behind it instantly and the fact that they were able to find a poem hidden in a book page after never writing a poem in their life i think to me that was like see Everybody can do it. It's just, it's this fear of the infiniteness of how many choices you can make while writing it. And if you stop being afraid of that and you just let it come out, so I would say the blackout poetry and then stream of consciousness, like having the the bravery to sit down and for 20 minutes write everything that comes to your brain. And like even if it's like we were doing, when we were sound checking, even if it's like peanut butter pretzel poetry, you know? <laughs> like letting that happen, because you'll see that the words start to take shape, and it stops being the letters of your name for 10 paragraphs or all work and no play. You know, it it becomes a poem. And I think poetry's hiding in every single person. It's just, there's this weird fear, and maybe, I don't know, maybe an inherent learned Idea that poetry is inaccessible and it should be complex and it should be hard to relate to because I think if you can let that go, everybody can do it. Really, everybody.
2: Everybody. Yeah, Lucille Clifton, uh, the poet, said um, poetry was. The art form of the working class, you know, it was like she could she could hold her kid in one arm and be making soup with the other, you know, and and still jot a line down here yes. and there. Like it was and then Audrey Lorde, right? Of course, like poetry is not a luxury. It belongs to all of us. It and, does. Yeah. And it's the I way think for
1: a while it went away from that. And I think mm-hmm. it it became this, I don't know, like this really elevated form of language that really planted a seed of fear in a lot of people. And it, cause I mean, I don't know. I remember being in high school and middle school and reading poetry and in a class and everybody looking at everybody and everyone's like, what is he? I don't know, like right. what is the hidden metaphor? And then it makes me laugh sometimes because I've, people have done that to things that I've written and I can, you know, they've asked me questions like when you wrote this line what did you mean by, I don't know, the white clouds in the blue sky and I, I'm literally like there were white clouds <laughs> and the sky was blue <laughs> you know and I remember those moments because I I had been there and I remember being in high school and being like what if he just meant that the clouds were white and the, you know and so I think for a long time it became elevated to this really inaccessible place and I think that's why my first book was such a shot in the dark was poetry was something small and it was I- excluded and it was very inaccessible for a long time and I don't know if that makes the poems that I write just rubbish or if it just makes, you know, maybe I'm doing it wrong, but I think it goes back to what you just said. Poetry belongs to everybody and it's, I don't think that it should be held in that strange, inaccessible regard all the time. Maybe sometimes, but not all the time.
2: Totally. And just to remember too that poetry started in song, you know, and it was the way that our communities uh, passed down knowledge to each other. We just sang poetry to each other to carry the history of our people. Um, Before the printed text, before the written word, there was poetry, so it it wasn't like an art you got to choose to do, it was like, everyone's doing it all the time.
1: (laughs) And I think that's why it's important to not only have really inaccessible, elevated language in poetry, because, what are we? I mean, what are we passing down? If only, really hard to understand. Like, you know, if that's all we pass down, if that's all that counts as poetry, then what are we passing down? You know, we need all of it. We need every bit of it, all together. And I don't think anything is more poetic than in anything else. I just think it's it's all part of the song of being a human being.
2: Mm-hmm. Robert Frost says, "Poetry is what poets write. That's yeah. it <laughs> like, yeah, exactly like that's his definition as we've over the ages tried to define this thing of poetry. It's like it's changed so much from every sure. century it changes what counts as poetry, what count you know, <clears throat> and
1: well, now it's we it's interesting that it was Frost, too, because right. during his time, I mean, he's one of the only he's one of the only ones that did both, you know, like that was that was commercially successful when poetry was elevated and he didn't he didn't write in inaccessible ways i mean he wrote plainly about a lot of things he simplified complex things down to simple simple language and uh, yeah that's why i love that he was the one who said that yeah. quote is because he i mean he nailed it and that's exactly what he did and you wonder too if at the time how he was held in other poetic circles was he laughed at was right. he Maybe you know. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I am,
0: which is <laughs> great.
1: I mean, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> yeah, it just makes you wonder who writes the rules on this thing, right? You the know? gatekeepers, yeah, and
2: sort of thing. I know. Yeah, so, yeah. Maybe to close out our conversation, if you're if you're feeling uh, as and so inspired, you might read us uh, one of your poems. I'll read one, one of them. Sure. Okay, so pass it.
1: <clears throat> I hate reading my own poetry. <laughs> I hate reading it because, like, if somebody else has a thought of how it sounds in their brain, and then I—it's re- like if you cast the wrong person, mm-hmm. you know—it's kind of that thing. <laughs> I think you'll. I think you'll be okay. Sorry I in advance if I'm in the wrong role. Okay. <clears throat> I will never be the first of so many things for you. I came too late after life and love were woven into the tapestry of your existence. I care not about loss first, but I will fight knuckles bloody and teeth sharpened for your last. Take the old firsts and put them to rest, silent below the dirt and ash of all the new ones we will burn through. Take them, but give me the last.
0: Thank you. You've been listening to the podcast for CIIS Public Programs and Performances. Audio production was supervised by Lyle Barrera at Desired Effect. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe on iTunes or visit our website, ciis.edu podcast.